0: Hi and welcome to Understanding the Law Radio, in preparation for Season 8 of UTL Radio. We're counting down six of the best special guest episodes of UTL Radio. We've had so many inspiring entrepreneurs, successful celebrities, and brilliant businessmen and women on the show, and in order to get ready for the brand new season, we are re-uploading the best of the best. On today's show, I'll be featuring my interview with legendary musician Donnie Hartman, on business and legal issues present in the music industry. This episode originally aired on July 29th, 2015. And if you hear another voice in the interview with Donnie, that's because Bob Hughes, who's my former co-host and a good friend, made some time to talk with Donnie and me on the show. So it's an entertaining, great show. It's one that you don't wanna miss. There's good information, good advice, and a bit of fun. So make sure that you tune in to the brand new season on september 8th and we're going to have a whole new setup we're going to have brand new guests a new format new days of the week that it's that the podcast is going to be released you just don't want to miss it this is going to be a brand new exciting season we have a lot to look forward to so make sure you join us on september 8th for the beginning of season eight of utl radio Donnie, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks for taking the time out of your day today to be with us. We appreciate you uh, being here and sharing so much of yourself and your information with us, so uh, so thanks.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it, too.
2: No, it's, yeah, it, we definitely appreciate it, Donnie. I know that uh, getting off the lake for you is, is definitely difficult up there in northern Michigan.
1: It was not good today, no. I wanted to go... <laughs>
2: We'll talk about fishing and and, and, and its its role in your your career a little bit. Uh, For people that don't know Donnie, um, I met Donnie a number of years ago, and he's an incredible guitar player, incredible singer, and and really – Kind of a rock. You're in the rock and roll of fame in, in, in Michigan, so we'll call you a rock legend in Michigan, which is great, because I don't think a lot of people understand sometimes the people that are associated with music in Michigan. But what I wanted to start with was lay that groundwork a little bit um, with you in the Michigan music scene. You know, I wanted to talk about your performance history from from where it all started and and when it started, and take that take us through where you are today with your musical uh, uh, career. All right. Uh, this is going to take a few minutes. <laughs> That's all right. We got <laughs> <laughs>
1: We started out, actually, I came up here, and uh, what got me into this crazy mess was my mother took me to see Elvis Presley at Olympia Stadium in Detroit, which was the wow. hockey stadium, in 1957. And wow. I still remember her we We're driving away from the place, and my mom goes, well, Donnie Hartman, what would you think of that? And I went, wow. <laughs> she, says, <laughs> she says, so what are you going to do? I says, I'm going to do that. And she goes, okay. It was kind of a kid thing, you know? Sure. I said, someday I'm going to play that place. while well, we played Olympia Stadium so many times, it was ridiculous. So that, that's <laughs> she, that's one of the great parts of my life in this crazy business. <laughs> because certainly didn't make any money at it. <laughs> but anyway, after that, I was uh, kind of just sold on the music industry and, I mean, music business. Anyway, I just wanted to be there. So when we, my dad died, my mom and I moved back up north. We were in Detroit at the time. And people say I'm not a Detroiter. Sorry, pal. I lived there. I lived in the rottenest part of town for a long time. <laughs> I lived in Detroit when a kid like me, my age could walk downtown and not be afraid to walk around and take the streetcar down to the end of, um, the Ambassador Bridge, where my, my dad was an engineer down there, and he'd tell the engineer guys, uh, my son's going to be fishing down by the Ambassador Bridge. I'd like you to uh, keep an eye on him. That's what it was like. It was crazy. <laughs> but anyway, back to the music thing. Then we, my dad died, and we moved back up here, and I was in heaven because I loved it up here. And We moved to a little town south of Alpena, Michigan, called Asinique. So my mom of course was pushing me in a little way and in another way i don't think she knew what she was doing but put me in a talent contest in alpina and Mm -hmm. at that talent contest was my drummer who i didn't know then bobby Rigg. and they came out and did a cool jazz thing and i went out and mimed elvis presley and won the whole doggone thing (laughs) (laughs) and after that i mean i remember bobby saying Man, I was so, I was so mad at you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was playing with another little band just for uh, the graduation, our '64 graduation, and um, they came in. They had a band called the Chevelles, and he said, "Hey, we want you to join our band," and that's where it all started. And so Bob and I and a couple other guys went on to be a band called the Chevelles, and that was the first year out of high school. And right away, we got a gig at a local bar here. We were too young to drink, but we could go in the bar at 18. So we were in the bar for about oh, two, three months. And the guy made the mistake of putting us in the Battle of the Bands in Bay City, Michigan, which was a really big deal then, Tri-Cities. Oh, yeah. Went, and we went down there, and whipped the first guys, because the Elvis show. <laughs> <laughs> sliding across the thing on my knees going, jeez, I can't afford another pair of pants. But anyways, we won second place, went back down, and won first place like two or three times. And then this guy who owned, back then it was all teen clubs. There were so many in Michigan, it was ridiculous. There was tons of them. Well, the big, big deal in Saginaw was Daniel's Den. And this guy named Frank Patrick saw us and went, "Uh uh-oh. I gotta have these guys. So we went over there and had a big meeting with him, and he bought us ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) We ended up signing kind of a kind of a agreement, not really a contract, and he be kind of became our manager. And uh, I never worked so much in all my life after we signed up with him. No matter where we were in Michigan, no matter how bad the weather was, we had to be at Daniel's Den at 1:30 on Sunday for the. show on Sunday, every Sunday. That was our, that was our important part. And then the only nice thing about that was, I mean, I could tell you some scary stories about driving, but we put on 175,000 miles in two years. Wow. Wore out two cars in Michigan playing teen clubs. And every Sunday back to Daniel's den for the matinee. Sure. And, um, then Frank started. he was a real smart businessman. And so he would take all these, he'd watch all the people who were going to Europe or from Motown or anything. And, and then they'd get big and they'd come back and then we would, uh, he would end up hiring him for, at a low cost <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd be their backup band if they needed it, but, but oh. at, at Daniel's Den, like in 65 and 66, we backed up, uh, people that you just go, what well, what the heck were they doing there? I said, well, they were just doing the same thing we were trying to do. So <laughs> here's Joel Cocker and the grease band. We played with the birds. Um, and then the big one was Sonny and Cher. He booked them for five dates and he had built these little, um, I don't know what you call them, Daniel's dens in all these places. We had one in Alpena, one in, uh, Carol. And a big one in Houghton Lake. So here comes Sonny and Cher and uh they send a piano player in to go through this stuff with us. They've been in Europe for I don't know how long and they had hits like crazy, but they weren't he had already signed them to lower money.
2: <laughs>
1: so the piano player comes in and says, How you boys doing? I said, Fine, Is a black man and he says, uh, boy, am I glad this is over. He says, What do you mean? He says well, man, he said, uh, it's just been murder. Those idiots over there in England won't learn the songs. They come out, and I, I have to teach them every stinking song. And he said, these are little simple songs. He said, they would not learn them, even when I taught them. He said, it was, it was kind of a disaster, but Sonny and Cher were so good on stage. So. so he said, well, you don't have to worry about that with us. He goes, what do you mean? He says, we know every Sonny and Cher song. We <laughs> learned them all. He says, oh, come on. I said, we did, he said, pick one. So he did, and we played it, sang it. He picked another one, we sang it. He goes, you boys wouldn't mind if I left here and got some rest at the motel, but we did. <laughs> 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 so that worked out really cool. So we did Saginaw two dates, did um, Houghton Lake two dates, and then came back to Saginaw. And Sonny and Cher went nuts. They, they just thought we were the greatest thing they ever saw. Sonny gave me a big hug, hit my guitar while I'm playing it. I still remember between Baby Don't Go, you know, whatever. And uh, so, unbeknownst to us, about a month later, we found out that they said to Patrick that they were going to California, probably getting a show. No they kidding. Would love to take us with them. Well, that never happened, of course. That's the first <laughs> nasty thing that he happened that- in the music
2: business. Anywhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So then, anyway, we went out as a Chevelle's for quite a while. We were getting you know we were it was all teens, so we were playing like all over Michigan, but based basically out of Saginaw area, but we still lived home so finally, it got so bad i we ended up getting an apartment in Saginaw, and I lived there, and the boys would go home, and I'd stay there and then uh the military came along and all that crud and a couple got drafted and then we got out and all that stuff. And that was all within one year. And then, uh, there was another band there. We were the two top bands in Saginaw tri city area at the time was the Bossmen and the Chevelles. And, uh, so for some reason at the same time, we all broke up. Everybody was tired. We weren't tired of each other, but you know, Wagner was in the boss when he was tired of that. So, so we come up north. So now what are we going to do? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> so about two days later, Wagner calls up and says, Hey, I hear you guys broke up. He said, yeah, well, we're the two biggest ba- bands in Saginaw, but all there is left is me. So we said, let's uh, you wanna do something together. So we went down to his apartment, upstairs apartment, rehearsed for three days learned all the songs he knew and we knew back then i had a memory (laughs) and we got went back home got our clothes and went straight down to cleveland and played a place down there that all these cool it was like the jet set place it was called otto's grotto on the bottom of the statler hilton hotel and man you talk about exciting that was nuts and then while we were down there wagner had been taking all these young guys from saginaw to make money down there to the studio four track studio would record singles on them so they could come back and get them and and back then we could get airplane on all the stations from flint to saginaw any local man could.
2: yeah you didn't need to really need an ar a and r man in the label you just kind of pushed from yourself correct right we
1: everything was pushed ourselves right we did it all ourselves and you know we were all friends with those guys because we were all doing their shows you know dj they were djs at the show and then we'd play and so we were kind of a big it was kind of a big music group but so that worked out and then uh and at at that time even as we were doing the frost we were still playing a lot locally we were playing uh oh there was sherwood forest down there and stuff that's about as far as we got but all in that area we kind of stuck around and then as that progressed, we kind of, we did this Cleveland thing. We recorded the whole first album while we were in Cleveland. We were down there for like two weeks and recorded. The whole first album was done. And, uh, there was no bad egos on that one. (laughs) 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 Then we came back to Saginaw and had a little meeting. And then we had the apartment and Dick says, you keep the apartment. Um, what do you guys think? And we said, well, I think we ought to quit being a pop, little pop rock band. I think we ought to go for the big time and start doing all originals. So we. Hey, did.
0: Donnie, Donnie, let me stop you for one second because it's a good stopping spot. Um, we have a all call. Right. You want to take a caller for a minute? Sure. All right. Hey, caller. Thanks for calling in. What's your name and what's your question? Hello. Caller. All right, Donnie. Well. They did want to talk to you, but now they don't. So carry on.
1: Probably a friend of mine.
2: Oh, oh, oh,
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) So anyway, carry on then? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So anyway, we decided to just do that. And it hurt us really bad, you know, because now we weren't playing the stuff that everybody wanted to hear and so we suffered pretty badly. The guys would come home. I'd stay there, live up pop cans or whatever I could. And that's how bad it was. It really was. I mean, we had, I had a friend named Hippie Jack and he smoked a lot of the stuff, you know, and uh, so we'd hang out together and he would always go get a job, like get an advance against the salary. he selling, selling anything from books to, uh. at the end of the week, he'd go, well, I got 45 bucks. He says, "I'm buying some weed, and <clears throat> I got beer money. Let's go out, so we go out to the local bar <laughs> and drink till the money, drink till the money was gone, and then that was it. We go out every weekend like that. It was pretty funny,
2: yeah, but, start over the next week, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> then go starve for the rest of the week, yeah, eating yeah. whatever the heck you get eat, but anyways, that's how that progressed. Well, finally, somebody heard about us and said, you should play the Grandy ballroom. So we called up Russ Gibb down there, told him who we were and everything. And he says, yeah, I've heard a lot about you guys. He said up and coming. He says, I'm going to try you. So we went down there and that was our big break in Detroit. We played,
2: in, played in the Grandy. Night. The Grandy was kind of Detroit's premier rock venue at the time. I it mean, was the premier
1: rock venue at the time, right? There was, I mean, there was at that time, really, there weren't that many big venues taken on bands. You know what I mean? Even Cobo Hall, all that stuff, um, that all progressed within a year's time. I mean, all of a sudden you had, um, you know, Meadowbrook and DT Energy Theater back then was Pine Knob, you know, and all these places all of a sudden saw how fruitful it could be to use, you know, Michigan bands there. And the Grandy Ballroom was like the premier, it was like the Fillmore's on the West Coast, but it was like the premier place for anybody around the world to play. If you played in Detroit, you wanted to play the Granny Bottom. So we're in there playing, and I mean, you know, we were just another band with a lot of times Cream, uh, Joe Walsh, all those guys were in there playing. I mean, we played with, we played with the Who there two or three times. We played with every, every band you could think of then except for Jimi Hendrix, and uh one other I can't remember, but those are the only people we did not play with We played with Clapton almost through his first five bands. Wow, and um did a lot of no touring that it, at all, but then finally, the record company started coming into Detroit to see what's going on here. So they started signing well we were we were one of the premier bands then, Bob Seeger, all them guys were all coming up cause we were you know a little bit older. And the biggest band down there at that time was the MC5 because they had that revolutionary thing going and they were Ann Arbor people. But actually the Frost was actually on the top of the line there. And and all the bands would come from England or anywhere else and request that the Frost warm them up, which was kind of a crutch (laughs) for us because then they'd come to a full crowd. I mean, we'd fill the Grandy every time we played there. And then they opened up a couple more uh venues down there that were old ballrooms but then we started playing olympia stadium big venues and then cobalt hall and of course pine knob and all those venues you know and and this is still this whole group of mc5 us the stooges all those people were all in this mix and it got to be a crutch kind of because we just kept living there we never went anywhere Right. And some of the some of the people who had good management, you know, were finally taken like Bob Seeger and those guys. And later on, and I boy, I can't remember the name of the band, but they did the same thing. But um Seeger's people got them on the east coast and ran them from Florida all the way back up, you know, to New York, all this stuff, all this time while we're sitting there playing maybe Ohio or you know, Cincinnati's about as far as we went, whatever. And um so we kind of got in a rut. And then we signed a record deal with Columbia that came in. were really nice. But they signed us on the date label. And we went to New York and recorded in the same studio that... Um, oh, God. Uh, I hate my memory. Um, the Boxer, all those guys. What the heck's their name? Oh, uh,
2: Simon and Garfunkel.
1: Simon and Garfunkel had just done their famous album in there. And so we got in the studio right after them, and uh, it was funny because upstairs was another band that I really liked from California, <clears throat> and uh, they got off the airplane. And we hated California bands because they all had this big attitude. They actually got in a fight at the airport to see who was going to sit where in the limo.
2: <laughs> that was
1: Moby Grape. Moby Grape. So the guitar player would come down and hang out with us when he wasn't recording because he hated they hated each other kind of. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but they did. So anyway, we did those three songs, and and then everything went to pieces because first the studio said, well, your bass player isn't good enough and blah, 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 and we had all these hot rods come in to do um, overdubs and stuff, you know, violins. We did a, one song with violins and all this, and they were all, a lot of those guys were people who played on the uh, Carson show, you know, NBC Orchestra back oh. then. And so you have all these guys, you know, and they'd come in for like, they were like 80 bucks a piece back then. But hell, they'd come in at 10 minutes and do the parts, you know. And Wagner was writing out scores for violins and the guys were kind of chuckling. And they goes, hey, man, we can read it. Don't worry about it. So we got those three songs were great. If we would have had that promoted, I think that would have done it for us because we had the one song called Sunshine. Were those? Sunshine was right in there. I mean, that song, we did the, um, uh, you know, um, Kenny Rogers in the first edition had um, What Condition My Condition Was In. We put that on there, that little bit of uh, Leslie vibrato on the voices. And oh,
2: okay. still
1: to this day, if you listen to that song, you go, what the heck, how in the heck come that wasn't a hit? And we did a beautiful <laughs> ballad called Rainy Day. And we, we did a kind of a, uh, I don't know how to explain it, almost a, heavy-duty Motown version of a song, too, called Little Girl. And um, great songs. Columbia put us on the shelf, and we sat there for six months, and they finally let us out of the contract. Wow. So then we went back to Detroit again, and the next thing you know, Vanguard Records is in there driving all these bands nuts. Vanguard and what was the other big folk? um, Anyway, they were with us every night. They would not leave us alone. So we finally decided to sign with them and then come to find out they had, you know, who wanted a, we were playing with Country Joe and the Fish. And Country mm-hmm. Joe says, man, you guys got to sign this band. They're, they're, your new, they're your new rock band. So we did, well, that, that whole company, we did three albums there during the course of the years. And that whole company just had not ever handled a band like us. And, God, we got out to California, went down to the record store and Finally, we got a tour lined up. And we went to California, got on the record store, and they had our, our record on a little cardboard sheet saying "The Frost Tonight at Fillmore. I got to be kidding me!
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was our first big event leaving Michigan, and we went to the Fillmore and played. Of course, here we are, this heavy rock band. This always, this is the way we got stuck all the time. Went to the Fillmore. We're playing with B.B. King and some drug band called Om. And w- Bobby and I went down to the Fillmore the night before we played and walked in and everybody was sitting down and kind of in a coma. And I went, what in the heck are we going to do here? <laughs> we don't play anything like Jefferson Starship and all the boys these people are <laughs> listening to so we went in and set up and came out like gangbusters. And before we did two sets, and before the second set, we had those people all standing up screaming. (laughs) I said, geez, we woke them up. I'll be darned. And BB had played with us before, too, so he was happy because he said, the end of the night, we're jamming, man. So uh, we did that three nights, and we tore those people up. And never, ever talked to anybody in that building. Never knew, never saw Bill Graham, nothing. And finally, the third night, <clears throat> when it was time to get the dough, we go into this big office, and there's Bill sitting there, and he goes, how you guys doing? I said, fine. He says, I hate your band. The first <laughs> words out of his mouth. I go, what the hell are you talking about? He says, I hate, I hate, I'm sorry, but I don't like the energy bands. I had MC5 out here. I'll never have them back again. I hated them. He said, "And I hate your band, but I will have you guys back." I can't believe what you guys did to an audience that should not even have, you know, reacted to you guys. And you said you got <laughs> standing ovations all three nights. I give you a ton of credit for that. And I'll have you back. That was pretty weird. That was the best. <laughs> that was the best stupid compliment I think we ever got.
2: got a compliment in it somewhere. Thanks. Yeah.
1: There was a compliment there somewhere. Then we went to L.A. and could have just forgot that. (laughs) That was, we did good there, but L.A. was so into itself. It was like, it was like, God, I hope we're not bothering you people. (laughs) And then uh, our management, our manager, who was a doggone nice guy, but he got things really going. They were kind of crummy then. Things went to heck. We had to borrow money from home to get back because he didn't construct that part of the business so we left the roadies there came home had to get money sent back get the roadies back there so that's how that went that's how things were going and the next thing we know we got a we got a tour in canada and we did real well because we ended up hiring another manager and that i don't even want to tell you all of that story in there because it is business but the guy's still a great friend of mine, but he was—he just didn't have her. But then Dick hires this guy from New York, Dennis Arfa, who later on managed him and actually saved Billy Joel's career, ended up managing him. He was with William Morris Agency. So he gets us this big tour, not a big tour, but a tour on the East Coast. And um, so we play these clubs that are... I mean, they're like the jet set clubs, We go to electric circus. And I first thing was, is where is the stage? And how do you walk through this light show mess here? It was just like, oh my God, psychedelic up the bananas. So we play it. And that was like, uh, wow, well, we did that. And then he had a gig for us out in Long Island. And we went out there. We were with Fleetwood Mac again, which I got sick of playing with. We played with him so many times in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we played at a place called the Action House, and we did real well there. East Coast crowds were hard to break. And then his first big mistake was he booked us at the Felt Forum, which is the small part of Madison Square Gardens. Oh. And he books us with sha and the Association.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so we got all these teeny bobbers out there, and we came out balls to the wall again. <laughs> These kids went, what the hell is that? (laughs) And we got through the whole set and the show and everything. And I think there was some reviews, but I didn't even want to read them. (laughs) So then we came back home again. And then the next tour was with Chuck Berry and a great band. Oh boy, let me see if I can remember the name of these guys. They were Canada's answer to um, Chicago and they were excellent. Well, we fly into Toronto We were playing that night with Taj Mahal at a place called the Hawk's Nest. I remember this stuff. I can't believe it. (laughs) But (laughs) we pull into the airport and then we had to carry all of our own. I mean, we're on an airplane. We had to carry like all of our own PA. So we got four TB1 cabinets. I don't know, 10 crown amplifiers. So all this crap. So the roadies peel out of there. They go down. They start getting the stuff out. Had to rent a truck, of course. And we're getting off and we're getting off and we're going, what's the deal here? There's a bunch of Mounties down there. So the people are going that way and all of a sudden we're going that way. I goes, oh boy, what's this about, you know? And so they take us in there and come to find out our manager got caught with a little bit of stuff in his pocket. And so they thought we were sneaking it in. So we spent over two hours with the strip shirts, tearing equipment down, all that. Got to the gig late, And that was kind of a first. That kind of went to heck. And all I remember on that tour was Bob was so mad he was going to quit the band. Of course, Wagner's (laughs) in his book said, yes, Bobby quit the band. And I go, I wonder who drummed with us the rest of the time. Jeez. (laughs) So we did the whole thing. We did Toronto. We did Sudbury. We did a couple others. But we had a good time. I did. I I just ignored it. I went, you know, well, (laughs) it's the music business. (laughs) And we got back home and that's when... We were, we were in the late 69, early 71 or like late 70, early 71. This is near the end. This is all the kind of thing that happened and there's a million other stories in there, but you guys don't have time. So anyway, (laughs) we went to went back home and you could tell, you know, and I'm sorry, but I forgot to tell you after Jack, we did fire him, which was miserable and hire another guy, Gordy. So Gordy oh. was our bass player all this time. And I'm sorry about that. But anyway, all the, from that point on, it was Gordy. And we did this Canadian thing. And we came back. And there we were, back at the Grandy Ballroom, back here, back there. And, and it was kind of just going, so we finally decided to dissolve the band. And we basically played, I think, 20 final frost shows <laughs> to make <Wow>. money. Yes. <laughs> And then when we split up, Bob and I came home, and it was miserable. I had nothing to do. We came back to Alpena, and, you know, we had no idea what we were going to do. Well, then the bar business was kind of picking up up here again. So he wanted me to get into that. Well, for a while, Wagner kept bugging me. He ended up going to California with the management there at ARFA. And so we ended up, I ended up going out there. Once with him to do Ursa Major. He was doing that. And I took Greg Arama with me. They wanted me to take him, which was Ted Nugent's bass player before. Ted fired everybody, too, a couple times. So I took him there. And uh, when I got out there, the white powder was getting really popular. And I saw all that going on and went, "I, I don't want a part of this. You know, I. I can see where this going and this is going. And I said, you know, I'll hang here. It was two weeks. And the keyboard player <clears throat> was really a nice guy. I don't remember him being into it, but whatever. We had a nice place to rehearse. Everything was all set up, lots of money. And I come to find out where was the money coming from? <laughs> yeah. And nice big drug dealer. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, after two weeks, we were going to take a break and, I said, well, I'm going home. I'll see you at "Uh, or um, whatever. Said Some of the guys said they'd stay. And the keyboard player goes, Donnie, why don't you come with me? My parents have a beautiful home up in Maine. We'll go up there, a nice beach, get out, get lobster tails, all this stuff. I said, nah, I'm going to go back home. I got to go home. And that was Billy Joel. I didn't know who the heck he was. <laughs> so he went home, and then uh, I didn't go back, and neither did he. He, he said, no, he was kind of really smart about it in a way there. He didn't want to go back to that mess either. So Dick ended up getting other people. That's a long story. But anyway, it sounds like,
2: it, it sounds like, like, I mean, in, in those frost years, there was a lot of forks in the road and there was, there was a ton it, of them it, and there was, there was ways you could go and ways you couldn't go. And it seems like the ways that you went. They, it's, it it's, it, it, it. I hate to say it this way, but it always seemed like there was a little bit of a black cloud.
1: There that always
2: was. <laughs> followed you guys, and yeah, I felt did, like I felt like I felt felt like Linus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: big big hit <laughs> a rain cloud over my head. I didn't well, have
2: the towel though, the blanket. But. Yeah, I and, and but I think a lot good. of people today yeah, see that. You know, I mean. I think a lot of bands see that today in the fact that you know they feel like they can't make the right decision. So right. the question is to that is, because you, 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 you see it when it happens. You're, Gosh dang it, I did this and I should have this. Gosh dang it, I did this and I should have done this. How do you keep going?
1: Okay, so where we're at there, I'm going to stop talking about that band now. Anyway, that's
2: yes. the story of that. <laughs> we
1: end up breaking up and then all this crap happened. And Dick yeah. went on and went on and did a few great things, but it ended sure. in tragedy for him too. Right. But what I'm saying is now let's get to the part, what do you do today? I mean, it's so much worse today. Poor kids. I mean, you know, you used to have record companies looking for you. Now they don't even look for you anymore. Management to me is the stupidest thing you can do. The best thing you can do is get a, a good friend or a, a, an adult in your family that is a business or an adult you know, and try to get you in the right direction, but basically the internet is the place you're gonna get your product out anymore. And the only way you're gonna do anything is be your own business now. You have to be a business. It's It's not the good old record companies anymore. And you have to get out and travel till you're almost ready to die because, all those people that have made it that's what they're doing and even the country stars now if they they didn't travel they wouldn't sell records like they're doing some are still selling millions of copies but basically it's over the internet and then you got people like taylor swift and joe bonamassa is a beautiful beautiful painting of what a band should do today because i i i really have i look at what he's done he was eight years old his dad said if you're going to play you're going to have to run your whole thing because they saw where the record business was going. And um, he played like with B.B. King when he's was 8 years old, you know. And this guy's 38 years old now and got Joe Bonamassa. I mean, you go to his site, it's a store. He sells this, he sells that, he's out. I mean, he's basically a solo guy, but even a band, you know, you have to get yourself out there I really don't have an idea how you do that (laughs) anymore you know and I but you have to be your you have to manage yourself that's the only people you have left you know you can get some guy tells you he's going to do this or that but it's not going to happen Taylor Swift it's perfect example of handling myself you know
0: yeah, I want to talk Did to you she, for that, about that for a second. Tell me a little bit about, you, know, you started and maybe I cut you off, but tell me a little bit about what you mean um, You know, by by saying that Taylor Swift is doing things the right way. Talk about that for a second.
1: Taylor Swift is a really sharp cookie. I mean, here's this gal comes out as a young gal, but all of a sudden she's saying, look, you're not doing this to me. I mean, she told um, – Spotify and all those companies, you're you're cheating musicians. You're taking their money. I mean, God, these young guys are out there. They put a. I I got songs on. I get two cents a freaking song when it's played. You know, it's just stupid. Uh, ASCAP, BMI, were my um, publishing companies. I called them one day and I said, Hey, I can't find my stuff. He said, We don't have it anymore. You're not important enough. I said, What are you talking about? He says. If you get a song that somebody might record, then you can call us and we'll we'll take care of it for you. Wow. So that's the kind of thing that happened. ASCAP BMI is still going into the bar business though, and and soaking people for you know airplay on their re, on their stereos or whatever they're playing, and the poor little buyers are trying to pay eight fifty a uh, year to play other people's songs, and I don't even think they're getting the money because I'm sure not. I mean, I'm sure they are if they're big enough. Somebody's watching over them. But Taylor Swift says, you know, the heck with you guys. This is ridiculous. So supposedly her and her buddy Kanye, who she doesn't like that well, but they uh, got a group together, and they're trying to build some type of publishing company or something that will help young musicians so they can sign up and get a fair uh, price for their product. But that's... I mean, it's down to that, when I listened to Joe Walsh one day, he he, had, he was had, so cool about what's going on, he says, I feel sorry for young bands, I mean, he said, God, it's nothing like when we had it, we were crying about how tough it was, we had it made, you know, I mean, if I had a band today and I was young, had this band together, you know, it happens to you, if you're really good, you end up playing parties in big venues where you make a lot of money, you know. Why would you go on the road and kill yourself? Well, if you want to be somebody, that's what you have to do. You have to create an audience for your product worse than we did back then. You know, I mean, if you, if Bob Seger would go out and do this stuff, had great management, that management pushed him everywhere, everywhere you went, you know, you'd see the name, Ba Ba bah, you know? And they'd sell records, but now you can't do that anymore, you know.
2: You can sell well, records. You, you, is you, YouTube's really kind of taken over that market and yeah. Facebook as well. I mean, MySpace is right. probably one of those that came out that said, hey, you know, we can do this ourselves. We don't need a, a record label because there was now we have the medium and the computer and the Internet and to be able to get our money to go. yeah and that's where, it, that's where it all went. Yep, but it, that's where it's it, done. it killed the money end of things.
1: The money is gone. But you know, so, if I was a young band too, like I'd have 20, 20 uh, things on YouTube. I'd have 20 videos on there. I'd keep punching them on there until people, I mean, people are watching that. When you see one stupid video on there go viral and 3 million people watch it, you know? <laughs> so I would be doing live shots of my band, everything. That I mean, that's one of the ways to do it. And then if they, I mean, you have to promote yourself and you, and most young people are into the internet hard, so there you go. That's one of so your really, big venues right there.
2: So, what you're saying is probably the biggest thing that you have to do, and it hasn't changed, is the promotion side of things. It's just promotion is still
1: number one, yeah,
2: number one. recognizing the media that's going to get people's attention.
1: Right. And figuring out how am I going to get from here? How am I going to go to Europe? Europe right now is still one of the biggest, biggest. It's so much better over there than here, music-wise. Because here, everybody has a category, you know, your rap or your country or your not country, your pop country or whatever. In Europe, everybody still appreciates everything from blues to, you know, uh, pop rock and everything there, but they appreciate it so much more than here. Here, we're we're spoiled. It's like, I'm not eating at McDonald's again today. I'm tired of it, you know. And over there... <laughs> But it's it's hard to get over there, too. But there are, you know, people over there that are traveling. I mean, there's some people I know here. They go there every winter and just try to keep playing. But I, I really wish I had a simple thing for it. But which, what we just talked about, you have to use the public th- things you have. You have to use YouTube. You have to use MySpace. You have to use all these venues, you know.
0: You know, it seems, Donnie, like when you were playing that you had to rely heavily on somebody to promote you and not at all to suggest that your band wasn't successful because it was, but it seems as though, you know, you might have had people taking advantage of you because they knew that you were young and eager and hungry. And so, you know, do you feel that, um, you know, new musicians today still have to worry about being taken advantage of since it seems as though the idea of having promotions and, and marketing have sort of come back to the personal level where you're able to promote yourself and you don't need a lot of money. You don't necessarily need to rely on a third party manager. Do you think that that young musicians still have to worry about being taken advantage of
1: no that's what I'm trying to say. You have to take you have to take um, responsibility for everything yourself. You have to do that now. You can't if you depend on somebody else. What you're doing is you, you're just buying into more money that's going out. Because you know you can get this guy to do this. Now he's going to do it. Why can't you do it? Why can't you do the YouTube stuff? Why can't you know? And it's right. so it's so easy now. I mean, you can get a camera. You know, everything is so digital you can get a camera and build yourself a little set in your basement or go to a bar that's really nice or do whatever and tell them hey man can we use your bar for a couple hours i'm sure the guy would be happy to do that but like you said you 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 are you the promoter nowadays the band the man the man in the band that's got the most control of the band is the guy okay here's what we're doing and
0: you know back in the 60s and 70s you didn't have that ability to have uh-uh. something go viral, to put a video up somewhere. When I mean, you were pounding the pavement, going from venue to venue and touring, and trying to get people. You you know, you were trying to build that buzz by doing it door to door. Now That's it's what you we were sit doing. in your house, and you you, know, you push yeah, stuff out on the
1: internet. Yeah, basically, we were door to door salesmen, and um, <laughs> we were working for a company who was your manager. You know what I mean? He was promoting you. I mean, it was like you were, um, well, it's almost like you were a religious person. Your church is there. That was our management. And we went out door to door selling Bibles. You know what I mean? I, that's the simplest form there is. That's what it was all about. And you don't, you can't do that anymore. It, it, it's ridiculous to have a big management who are taking more money from you. But um, what, these, what these kids need to do is... is Get a little bit of business sense in their heads. That's the only way they're going to get anywhere.
2: Well, that's you know the music is always the music, you know, and and, and doesn't matter. Yeah. what I, mean, I, was, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what the business end of it because it's obviously important. But as a musician, you know, and you've ha- you've got little there's little different things you need to do as a musician. You need to learn. You need to you need to be creative. You need to like you said learn a little bit about the industry. You yourself, right. what's the most important thing you did right as a musician that kept you in the business for forty odd years? No, the only thing I did. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: All I did was keep playing, never quit. (laughs) (laughs) I call it playing till you're dead. (laughs) You know, I mean, still to this day, you know, I get to the point where I go, what in the heck am I doing? And I go, well, what the heck am I (laughs) going to do? Because it's like me and you, Bob, you went back playing a bunch now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I'm saying it's, it's, (laughs) It's the easiest thing you and I do. That's what we know. Sure. I mean, you know, you, you don't have a problem walking in a place and pleasing people all night with what you do. You know? And I don't sure. either. And, and and a lot of times and I'm sure you do the same thing. I mean, I've been playing guitar so doggone long. I never even realized I was any good, you know. <laughs> Until now, I'm standing there and people come up, man, you wow, you're where the hell are you? I guess what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> and I'll go back up on the stage the next sentence and start playing and Goes well, I'll be darned. Because <laughs> I don't even look at it like that anymore. I don't look at it like I'm a great guitar player, or a great singer. I look at it as a not really a job, but a profession. This is what I do.
2: you know. Well, and, it sounds like coming, coming to grips with that is probably one of the biggest things you have to understand is that if you're going to be a musician, understand yeah. that that's what you're going to do and do it as well as you can do it. Right. Do it as
1: well as you can do it. And my other pet peeve is I get these guys on there all the time. Man, you ought to hear this guitar. You ought to hear the guitar play. go on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be lost in the shuffle. There's 10,000 freaking guitar players out there. Half of them are in the basement that'll blow all of us away. <laughs> yeah. Don't, ego is no good. Build, build yourself into something great. Build, get, get great songs. You know, great sounding songs. Get musicians who can play your songs. That is your only avenue. You have to be great at what you do. That's what you have to do. And the ego thing needs to go bye-bye. You know, egos are what ruined the frost in a lot of ways. Other than poor business, but (laughs) ego basically is what ruined the business because... You know, I mean, Dick had a big head and and it was always him. It wasn't us. You know, he was going to do this. He was going to do that. And it kind of ruined it because all of a sudden we weren't a band anymore. You know, we were players in his future.
0: That's you know, it seems, it seems, Donnie, to me that coming up in the music industry in the 60s, 70s, even in the early 80s, it seemed like you could just be... A musician, go out, party, you know, do what you needed to do, and you were going to get money from the record company. People were relying on that. They just sat back. I mean, a lot of, you know, the early uh, '80s, late '70s, metal bands. Uh, I think that you know, you don't hear about them anymore. They're no longer around because they just sat back and tried to collect money, and the record industry, right. you know, they were taking money from them. They ended up being broke. And it seems today like, you know, we were talking about Taylor Swift and I think what's smart about her is the fact that while she's pursuing this art form and loves what she does, she's really smart with the business end of it. And I think a lot of 70s and 80s and and 60s musicians, they were just artists, you know, and and they didn't get that business. I don't think you can survive in today's music industry if you're not focused on business as well as the art.
1: Right. And if I, if I were to, I advise some people, if they listen to me or not, I, I use Joe Bonamassa because mostly I know guitar players. I said, go to Joe Bonamassa's site, open it up and look at what that man's got. Every week he's got new t-shirts, he's got new pins, he's got new this, he's got, I'm playing with the Money Waters Band for a month. I'm playing with this band for a month. I'm doing this. I mean, the guy never stops. He drives you freaking crazy. And Taylor Swift's the same as he is. She does the same thing. They know you have to be in the public eye to be anybody today. You have to be there. And they are the only ones who are responsible for it. Nobody can be responsible for you anymore. And that's, to me, the, the whole key to this thing. If I was a young musician today, for one thing, I would get, you know, in a large metropolis somewhere where music was going on. I mean, that's one of the things. Those aren't as popular as they used to be. It used to be, oh yeah, Seattle bands, oh yeah, LA bands, oh yeah, you know, that's gone. I I like I said, it's overwhelming almost. But if you want to be a musician you can't give it up. You gotta keep doing it, you know. That's that's yeah. the whole the whole that's the whole secret is you have to do it, and you have to do it right. Nobody's going to be responsible for you anymore. You can't just go out and party and play music, like you said. Can't do it.
0: Yep. And yep. and you know, I would imagine that if you were a young guy right now, not that you're not young, but if you were in your 20s right now, coming up, you know, how right. would you how would you approach the industry? Uh, you know, in, in today's world, what would you personally what would you be doing aside from YouTube? What would you be doing to to promote yourself?
1: I'd be I'd be trying to figure out how I can get to the biggest venues that aren't in play. If if uh, my thoughts exactly right now, if I was younger again, I would not even try the United States. I would go to Europe mm-hmm. because when you go to Europe, there are you know so many more venues. I mean, over here you play for thirty thousand people. Over there, you know I. I watch these things like on and stuff. There's even duos like um, a DJ duo with a guy playing drums on these big venues over there, and you're playing for hundred thousand people. So if you got a great, you think your band's great and you have great music, if you go over there for a year, I mean, I know it's it sounds hard, but when I was young, we took off. <laughs> I mean, if you go over there and you got to work, play some junk to make money on the street for a while just to get to the next place. You know, I know people that went over these duels and stuff are really good now. Went over there and played on the streets for money. And did it until they had 100,000 people knew who they were. But they were really good and people went, man, you guys should go somewhere. And finally, they were able to capture an audience, you know. And I I know that sounds so tough. But you need to be seen. If it's you know, not if you YouTube, then your band needs to be be out there.
0: If you love what you do, if if it's really, truly a passion and you believe that's, that, you know, this business of music you know, is for me, you're going to go do whatever needs
1: to be done. That's what that's what you need to do. I, I'll tell you what. Here's a real simple uh, thing I can tell you. It sounds stupid, but I fish a lot and I love fishing. In the 90s, I went down and did a bunch of bass circuits and spent every dime I had left for two years and fished these bass circuits down there. Cause I would have liked to have been a professional bass fisherman. And if you think that's easy, that's as bad as the freaking music business. Cause you're going down there, you're fishing against 300 people, you know, to try to be number one, but you know what? There's people doing it and there's people making a million and a half dollars a year fishing freaking bass. So you need to make a million and a half promoting your band, your music. That's how simple it is. It's a business now. It's, it's um, Amway. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to be the business. You are the business. And you have to yeah. sell your business. Sell it. And I feel bad because I said it, it would have been so much easier. in the, Well, it wasn't easier in the old days if you didn't do the right thing. I can tell you that, but... Today, you have to get on the horn and say, what do I do? Where do we go? Because we have a lot of bands here that in Michigan that make a lot of money, but they are mostly the best cover bands. I can't think right. of the name of this band right now that we see, but, man, they come out. I mean, you close your eyes, and they got a monster. They sound great. They sound like Led Zeppelin. They sound like uh, Journey. They sound like everybody.
2: And they make good
1: money. But they're not Talk, going anywhere. Talking huh? about rock, are you talking about Rock Show or Jedi? Jedi. Oh, my yeah. God, that's a great band. Yeah. <laughs> but Jedi Mind Trip can make four or five grand at some of these shows.
2: Right. Or you can go And they're just playing on, everybody else's music. Huh? They're just playing everybody else's music. They play no that's original. That's they're
1: doing. Right. Yeah. They're playing none. Right. If you want to be an original band, you have your job cut out for you. Yep. You need to go to music college, and guess what? Music college is the world. You're going to have to go out there and learn. That's what it's about. Really. The school the hard of hard knocks.
2: Stuff.
1: School of hard knocks, that's right. But, you know, um, every day you see some new one coming up, somebody's doing it right. You well, know, and even, and even that's what the I track. wanted to
2: kind of tie it into. It's, it's not hopeless. and As you know, it's, it's difficult as it seems, it's just right. as difficult in anything you do where you want to be the best you've got to work you've got to figure out how to get one up on the guy that's behind you
1: that's right
2: and that's never that's
1: like working at a shop you know and all of a sudden i'm tired of putting this stupid thing on the car i'd like to be the i'd like to be that guy standing there telling me what to do well how do you get there you gotta work at it you know (laughs) i mean you just have to if you want to go up that's the way to do it. If you got a great band and you got confidence, or if you're a great songwriter and a a guitar player, piano player, whatever, get in the freaking car and go find your find your future. That's what you have to do. That's all you can do. I mean, if I, like I said right now, if I was if I was, you know what I would like to do. If I knew what I knew now, I'd do like you and me. I'd I'd be a I'd be a solo artist playing my material. And if I had enough confidence in my music, I would do what you and I do. Only I do it all over the United States. I would drive town sure. to town, make money till, till I can get out of this town, and get to another town. And you can do it that way. You know what I mean? Especially a single artist. But if you're a, a writer and you think your material's that great, go play it for so many people you can't stand it. You know? <laughs> I mean, you and I go out and make our measly two three hundred bucks. But how do we get? How do we keep doing that? Because we have people who like us, sure. We might only have 200 now. You need 200,000, but the only way you get that is you got to get it to them, yeah. You know, and you have to work. I'm sorry, that's lousy, it's
2: never going to yeah. change. There you go. You have no,
1: and
0: you know, you, you mentioned people like Taylor Swift, and, and what one nice thing about, um, you know, today's world is that you don't need to go and recreate the wheel because you can take what some of these people are doing and you can model it. I mean, you're not right. It's not like back in the sixties when you were like, all right, what, what do I do? Where do I go? You know, who do we get to help us? You can take the initiative and say, let me see what she's doing. And he's doing the map bands doing, and you can do the same things.
1: And in the sixties, you know, it was overwhelming because uh, you'd be in Saginaw. We had, 25 or 30 bands, you go to Detroit, you had 50 bands, you had Motown, you had all this stuff. So you were you were tunneling your music through all of that, you know what I mean? So here we are this, um, we were like, to me, we were like a heavy. um, I I don't know how to explain the band, but the the music was, it was a little more technical, it was more uh, pretty than, you know, with that raw edge. (laughs) So that's where we, that's where we had to go with that music. But today you have to figure out where you're going tunneling it. Like, like I said, Taylor Swift and and those guys are perfect examples of how you do it. Because Taylor Swift 15 years ago was singing on a stage in a freaking high school, you know? Yeah. So there's, there, there is hope for you. You just, how bad do you want to do it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you You know?
1: Or you can come up here and play with me and Bob at some stinking tent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
1: Yeah, I love these. I, you know, I, I'm i sorry to say, but I, I feel bad for these guys who come up. Man, I'm going somewhere. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I goes. you're living in freaking Alpina. <laughs> Wait, the only place you're going to go is get a job at Lafarge, because if you don't get the heck out of here. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's how goofy it is, but that's how serious it is. You, I mean, it's almost it's almost redundant to keep telling it over and over. But if you want to do something, you are your own man. You have to do it. Or your own girl. You have to do it.
0: No, well, I think that's the most important piece of advice that you know you could give to anybody. Because I yeah. think so many people are still living in this world, waiting for a handout, waiting for something to happen to yeah. them. Instead of making it happen.
1: Yeah. Right. You have, you can't wait. You have to make it happen. I mean, it's the same as being a a model or a, a movie star or whatever. If you're going to be a movie star, you move to LA and you go yeah. do all the crappy things you have to do. Like the gal, I love her on. <laughs> oh God. What's the name of that show? I love with it. Um, anyway, She's always trying to get a sh- you know oh I got a job i'm doing a- i'm holding this
2: in this show you know or this ad
1: no serious yeah.
2: <laughs> huh it starts you've got to start you gotta and if you go to l a as an actor or an actress just as looks like going to Nashville as a musician
1: there are That's a right. exactly right
2: better than you, but you've gotta figure out how to be better than them and it's That's only right. gonna happen. So.
1: better or or not listen to what people say, you know. Oh, you should do this. You should do that. No, I have a plan. This is what yeah. I'm doing. I'm promoting me. Yeah. You know, I I'm the person. <laughs> and, it, and it's like I you know to me now it's more like it's more like a any um athletic job. I mean a ball player doesn't get anywhere by just standing around waiting for somebody to come up here and watch him play ball. Uh, uh, anything like that you know a a horse racer doesn't sit up here riding a horse and go wow someday i'll get in the kentucky derby right you have to be there you have to ride a horse in front of thousands of people
0: donnie uh we're running out of time and I, i want to um give people an opportunity to be able to get in touch with you so if you if people are interested in learning more about you and seeing you play um how is, is it best for people to, to learn more about you and get in contact with you?
1: Uh, go to the DonnieHartmanBand.com.
0: We'll I don't know where yeah,
1: they we'll, get the IE from. What?
0: We'll put links to your site in our show notes. Um, All right. But you have, you have a full um, touring calendar on the site as well. Right. So people, yes. if they want to come and yeah. see you play... I mean, you've got dates. It looks like all the way through October.
1: Yep. So far, we do yes, and we are so the, like great. the house band up in Mackinac now. Mackinac that's great. Crossing, so. and probably next year if all goes well. See, see, I'm still trying to promote me too. So, and and get my band. I would love to get out of the bar business. And this is a beautiful venue up there. It's an all open air thing, and we're playing a great big stage up there. And it's it's more like. Um, a concert situation and right. now next year if we get the gig they're going to book us almost all summer more money so that's what i'm doing I'm, I'm not trying to get a record deal but i'm trying to promote the band to make more money so i don't have to sit in the bar or have the bar owner come up to me and go well there's nobody here i guess i'll just pay you this and go home you know
2: right i, I hate that the, the promotion never stops
1: it never <laughs> stops never and i'm going to be 70 in January, and I'm really tired of
2: promoting myself.
1: <laughs> but what are you going to do?
2: You, know? you, you, you guys give your cell number to Donald Trump. Maybe he'll give it to everyone. I think so,
1: yeah. Hey, you ought to talk to him about me and you going on the road with him. <laughs>
2: I'll see what I can do.
1: <laughs> you can sing the nice side, and I'll sing the bad side. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyway, that's, I mean, I, like I said, I don't, you know, I hope this whole thing didn't turn anybody's mm-hmm. dreams down, but that's where it's at work. You have to work to get where well, you, you gotta be
2: realistic. You got to be realistic.
1: Yeah, yep. You got to be realistic. No, and I, so. I, think,
0: I think that's super important for people to, to learn. Donnie, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us. You know, I, I think that it's really interesting to hear from somebody who has been through you know, different shifts and changes in the music industry. And I just thank you very much. Um, anybody who wants more information about Donnie, it's Donnie Hartman, D-O-N-N-Y Hartman.com. And um, we'll put links to that page, and, and you can check out his music. Um, you know, his music's available on iTunes. It's also uh, on his site. So, you know, check that out and, and learn more about him. So Donnie, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, All right, Bob. take care. Okay, Bye-bye. thank
0: you. Bye. Bye, everybody. So it was uh, It was good because, you know, look, I mean, I know that, um, you know, he was saying, oh, I, I hope I didn't uh, burst anybody's dreams, but I, I think that that's not what he did at all. You know? No. I and think.
2: you've got to tell people those things. You have to say, yeah. hey, you know what, the... I'm not going to sugarcoat. Or you, have got to work and you've got to self-promote and, and it's not like it used to be. And, and, and There's a way you can do it, but you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure out what works for you and you've got to get out of, no one's going to, the one point that was really important that he made is no one's going to come and give it to you.
1: Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, I think that he is being realistic and i don't think that there's anything pessimistic or negative with it i think that so many times whether you're an entrepreneur you're going to start your own company you're a musician you're you know you want to be a professional wrestler or a baseball player or whatever it is so many times i think that you just think it's going to happen they're going to come to me and i can just sit back and just and that's not how it
2: works in any industry no I'm- Actually, the one good example he gave, and you can kind of tie in, it, you know, there's thousands of really good guitar players sitting in their basement hoping YouTube will save them, but they're not getting out of the basement and going and playing or doing this or taking their music to a larger audience. And, and that's a great example of sitting around waiting for it. That's the, yeah. that's the baseball player that's really good that, that, that doesn't go to the tryout camps, that doesn't go to, uh, to play with better teams. That he just sits there at his, 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 where he's comfortable and waiting for somebody to come. It's not going to happen. You have to take the ball. Right. You have to run with it.
0: Yep. And, you know, he also made a good point about, you no. Know, if you have a good band and you want to, you know, make it and you're not making it here, go somewhere else, go to Europe. So many people that are talented baseball players – End up playing in Japan for a while oh, yeah, before yeah. they can get here, you know. And the yeah. same with, you know, some people mock professional wrestling, but it is a career. It is a a talent, and a lot of times, you know, I, I would say a good quarter of these people that end up being very high paid professional wrestlers started their careers out in Japan or Mexico, and sure. then they come here, you know. And it's yeah. the same. It's the same with people that are in the broadcasting industry. You don't just go to school get your degree in communications or broadcast journalism and then go get a job on the today show you know you're <laughs> you're in you know the middle of nowhere you're working at some small station you have people i don't know if if you watch channel 7 but um i think it's the today show ginger z who is sure. the the meteorologist there ginger z started off in a very small you know um station and and built it up to the point where she's now nationally known i remember when she was chasing tornadoes with um with some of these storm chasers you know? and it doesn't just you just don't say all right here i am and and while youtube is a great promotional device those guitarists those drummers those people that are looking for you know the justin Bieber experience where you know you have a viral yeah. video and then all of a sudden you are the man that's one in a million. It's not enough to just post your – you've got to do more than that, way more.
2: Yeah. And yeah, you know absolutely. what's
0: good? Nate Maingard was a really good example of that Right. because not only does he have YouTube, not only does he have a website, but that guy is all over the place building this, this cult following. So that's a good example.
2: Yeah, no, Nate, Nate is a very good example of it, yeah, because you've got to take everything and control, I mean, you don't have to control everything, but you, you, are. if you want to make sure it's done the right way, what's the old adage, you want something done right, do it yourself, he's yeah. making sure that he does it himself, and he holds it out there, and he keeps control of it, and you know what, maybe he could be bigger than he is, but maybe he doesn't want to be. Oh, and maybe, maybe
0: that's going to gonna come in time, because he's setting yeah. the foundation.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're building a good, good base and, and eventually that'll grow. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. So, I mean, and he's a very good example of that. So, you know, it's, it's like anything, you know, when you know talking with the Willis clan, you know what you've here, here's, I don't want to play the, the nylon string guitar. Well, no, you're going to play it and you're going to learn it. You're going to like it. And, and gosh, dad, thanks for making me do that. Yeah. You know, there's, 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 there's different ways that you're working hard and there's different reasons you work hard. But the fact of the matter is that's the overriding theme is you work hard you, 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 you know what you're doing and you, you go for it. You don't sit yeah. and wait.
0: And you start at the bottom. There is, I don't care what people say, you start at the <laughs> bottom and you have to get through that idea of, well, I'm too good for this. You're never too good for this. Yeah. You <laughs> have to. You know, I think that, that that idea is like, you know, it's become antiquated for some people. Oh, oh, well, start at the bottom. Why do I, I want to be an actress? Why do I have to be a waitress? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, wait a minute. You got to wake up because it doesn't just happen. At all.
2: So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, it sounds to me like, I mean, Donnie clearly is a successful musician. He is, uh, his music speaks for itself. But I think that as he was developing, I think that, that you know, probably he was taken advantage of at some level because, you know, it was different back then. And some of these bands that, that he played with, they went on to become, you know, really super huge well-known people, you know uh, Fleetwood Mac and, and and Bob Seger, and it seems to me like he might have gotten taken advantage of along the way.
2: Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That was the. Uh, I think it was very easy to do back then because you were. It was probably more focused about the music, and you did put your, you know, back then the the, the model was put your put your 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 career in someone else's hand and, and let them run with it. Led Zeppelin was really one of the bands that stopped doing that. Led Zeppelin right. started their own label. Led Zeppelin had, you know, everything as much as they could control. Jimmy Page is is a is a huge control freak. Um, he has everything that they've ever done—pictures, tapes—and he has he wants to control that image. And he's always been that way because he was taken advantage of back you know prior to the Yardbirds and stuff and they really set that mold in place when they started swan song records and started yep. producing their own and, and why are we giving all these record companies our money when we have enough money to do it ourselves
0: and you know uh, from from them from that example look at what we have today you know you've got people like Gene Simmons of KISS they oh, own God. everything KISS I mean you can't say the word kiss without having to deposit a penny in their, in their, in their piggy bank.
2: Yeah, You'll be getting a bill later today.
0: That's twice. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got artists like, you know, Eminem. I mean, there's a, there's a a Michigan artist with his own record label taking control of, and, and that's, you know, clearly a different music genre than what we've been talking about. But Jay Z, all these people have really taken it to the extreme based upon, I think, example that led zeppelin set
2: yeah yeah you know yeah, i think kiss started uh casablanca was their label i believe yeah. And so, yeah yeah and you know
0: kiss is no joke because if you screw them over they're suing you <laughs> they're you know that just they have protected that image and that that brand like like no other i mean what a great right. example
2: <laughs> yes, they have. <laughs> but those are all good examples, you know, like say, of someone controlling their own destiny, recognizing what they have to do to make sure that they succeed. And, yeah. and that's what's starting to be, it's even more so now than it ever was. Yep, absolutely.
0: All right, well, that's going to do it for today. Um, you know, on the way out, we're going to listen to Give My Heart to You uh, by Donnie Harvin, so we can check that out. But uh, before we sign off, I just want to thank everybody who has subscribed this week and uh, received a lot of positive feedback on our, our you know prior episodes. We got a lot of, uh, of good feedback from the Willis clan interview and uh, appreciate all of you who follow, subscribe, comment, uh, a lot of, uh, of activity this week and, and really, really appreciate it. Um, I think personally that we can learn so much, not just from the entrepreneurs that we interview and talk to on the Thursday show, but from the musical guests that we have, because it's, it's a different perspective. You know, most of the time you don't think about musicians as business people, but they are, and we can learn so much from people's successes, their failures, their struggles, and I think that if you're open-minded enough and you can extract things from what these musicians are talking to you about, that you can apply them to business. I mean, I, I personally feel like Donnie gave some really good examples we can learn some things from what he said, you know, some things not to do and some things to do. And so, um, you know, I'd love to hear your feedback on today's episode, um, you know, and, and where this show is going and, and I'm, I'm happy with it. I think Bob, you're happy with it. Yeah, so totally. uh, yeah, we just need to have you guys tell us what you think of it. Make sure you spread the word. Uh, there's also been some interest um, in, in our new app, which you can uh, download for free from the iTunes store, from the app store, or on, uh, on Google. And you can get all of our episodes of um, everything that's on utoradio.com. Uh, you can listen live. You can stream the prior episodes. You can ask questions. You can get involved with us while we're broadcasting live. You can also, don't forget, contact us through utlradio.com and make use of the Ask Your Question feature. Uh, We have been um, very happy to have people utilizing that function. Now, we're going to start answering some of those questions and playing those questions on air, but I encourage you to check that out, too. UTLRadio.com is really just everything that we do on the air, everything that we learn, put in one place so that you can learn from it. We really want it to be an educational website where you can go and get information and you know, other things that you, you might need. We're going to be putting up forms very soon and giving you some, some additional materials to help you in your entrepreneurial, your business, your your you know, legal issues, whatever it might be, everything that you need for personal development, business success, uh, and, and, you know, the legal things that come up. That's, that's where we want you to go. So check out utlradio.com. That's going to do it for today. Uh, Bob, I want to thank you for, uh, bringing Donnie to us. I think it was a, a really good show with a lot of good information.
2: glad to feature him. It was fun. I, some of the, yeah. some of the stories I've never heard before.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I do want to say, because we did mention, um, Donald Trump, talk for one second, Bob, about what you might be doing in the very near future.
2: <laughs> See what happens when you get on iTunes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh. Uh, Donald Trump is coming to, to Saginaw, Michigan, Birch Road, actually, which is a kind of a suburb of, of them. And, and through my local GOP party, I they kind of suggested I asked them if they need some entertainment. So they called my bluff when I contacted them. So I'm currently scheduled to, I guess we'll call it open for <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, When he comes to Michigan here coming up soon, it'll be a good time. I'll play some music and uh, people will hopefully have something to do other than stand there and watch and wait for him to come on stage.
0: Well, I think it would be really cool. And uh, you have to make sure that you've got people taking videos so that we can, we can feature some of that. I mean, because I think people want to know more about you as a musician too. So make sure you
2: do
0: that. We'll see. see. And then get the Donald on the show so we can talk to him. My alter ego. (laughs) once again i'd like to thank you for tuning in to this episode of understanding the law radio and i want to remind you that our brand new season filled with exciting guests is starting on september 8th make sure that you tune in every tuesday and thursday for more episodes of utl radio i'll see you next time